everybody. Welcome to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. Jeremiah is back, and we are going to talk about two more issues of The Phantom Stranger. Specifically 7 and 8. And we have a blast with these. <laughs> There's some really funny stuff in here. Some really cool stuff, too. You know, you got names like Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill and Jim Aparo all popping up over these uh, two issues. So uh, get ready for a good time, and we'll be back right after a quick break. Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo. Superman, the man of steel. Aquaman, the famous undersea crime fighter. Tarzan of the Apes. Shazam, now featured on network television. Captain America, fighting injustice the world over. Spider-Man, the weird wall climber. The Super Foes, the arch enemies of the superheroes. The Super Gals, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, and Catwoman. The Green Arrow, crime fighter from the forest. Iron Man, power personified. The Falcon, that great black superhero. The Green Goblin, Spider-Man's strange enemy. The Lizard, half man, half beast. And that fantastic green giant superhero, The Hulk. And for 1976, the Fantastic Four, The Torch, faster than the speed of light. The Thing, Ben Grimm, man of granite. Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl, both have the powers of invisibility. Fantastic Four, fighting for truth and honor. Conan the Barbarian, with his sword of justice. Four, using his Viking power against evil. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I am here to talk some Phantom Stranger with my buddy, Jeremiah. How's everything going, man? Oh, very well, Billy. Very well. It's uh, Spring's really coming into the into season. It's nice. Um, so it's a good, good time for a couple Phantom Stranger comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I are going to be talking about 7 and 8, and we were just kind of <laughs> laughing that you have the physical copy to 7 and read digitally 8 and... <laughs> I read Digital 7, and I have the physical copy of 8, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, yeah, and like we were saying, too, I hope that Omnibus comes out later this year. You know, I wish Amazon is still acting like it doesn't know what in the world's going on. But if you go to uh, one of those other sites, I don't know if it's cheap graphic novels or one of those other, you know, secondary market sites, they're still showing it, you know, that it's supposed to be coming out. You know, in such and such a month, you know, a few months down the road that you can pre-order. And I'm just like, oh, man. I've, I've not seen anything that it's been canceled. So, I mean, maybe the third time's the charm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just, you know, I think it's 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 going to cover everything, isn't it? Like all the Bronze Age stuff. As far as I know, it's I think the, when I looked at it, it had that showcase that we let off and then what's there's another one 
uh, is it DC Superstars or DC Special? Oh, yeah, yeah DC I think it includes those. Um, and maybe even the the two sh- were there two showcase issues. Uh, sh- you know the regular showcase comic. Uh, there were two stories in there. It might have those as well. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I thought to myself, you know, I, I my plan was that I thought oh, I can just sell the singles I have, and you know that'll raise some capital. But I'm just afraid that I'm going to sell my singles. And they're going to push it off again. <laughs> I'm going to be yeah. like, then I'm not going to have my singles. And I'm going to really be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, right? You know, ho- hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll happen. It's saying now, when I look at, uh, let's say Barnes and Noble, for instance, it's saying publication date is supposed to be August 22nd. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We're getting there. Yeah, I, again, I, I really do hope it happens. But, you know, it might be another one of these deals. And I hate to do this, but if you wait and if everybody else has that same mentality and they don't get enough pre-orders, then they'll can it again. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I really want that material, but uh, I really don't want to pay a hundred and some dollars for it either. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't blame you. We'll see. But yeah, so Phantom Stranger, you know, you and I have been having a blast with these. They're really fun. You know, the Phantom Stranger, awesome character. We both really like him. Doctor 13, kind of a pest. Uh, sometimes his stuff is kind of annoying, but sometimes it's just funny to laugh at because even when, you know, somebody turns him into a rabbit or, you know, pulls a rabbit out of their hat right in front of him, he thinks there's always some shenanigans to it. It's, it's never reality to him. Yeah, it, and it, in these two issues here, he acts, it's probably the, the worst he's been in terms of um, he, he seems physically angry at the stranger in both of these stories, you know, yeah. and he even resorts to violence in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, they really amp up the, the intensity of the character. Um, and it, I don't know that it quite comes off. Well, it's a, it makes him seem a little silly at some points, but, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, Phantom stranger is the great character. And he's, uh, I really enjoyed the second issue. We're going to talk about the seven was, it was fine, but, uh, the story in eight, I liked quite a bit. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. There are some things, especially in seven that are kind of just the norm, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, some different uh, ways, uh, narratives of telling these stories. And we, uh, we get some of the, the, the crazy Scooby gang, the teenagers that are <laughs> here front and center again with Dr. 13 being a, a weenie in number seven. But I will say this, uh, we do get uh, Jim Aparo in these two issues. So that, to me, was a huge bright spot. Yes, it, it really was. The the art in both issues, excellent. Um, I got to read both of these in color, like you said, and the, you know, the coloring's excellent. That, to me, that that's the highlight of the two issues, is finally getting the, the Jim Aparo doing Phantom Stranger. Um, sets a great mood. Um, great line work. He, to me, that's the, the the defining artist for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim Apparel's the man. So, yep. All right. Well, speaking of covers, let's jump right into this one. So it's uh, the Phantom Stranger number seven, cover dated May June nineteen seventy, and it's a cover by Neil Adams to this one here. So uh, you said you have the physical copy. I'm looking at this digitally. Um, uh, what do you think of this cover here? Pretty good, right? Yeah, it, it's a it's a great Neil Adams cover. You have this um, scary tree um, 
reaching out with look like a you know a, a half a dozen branches at at it's it's Terry thirteen. I mean, we you find out in the story, but there's the man running towards the camera with this tree trying to grab him. Um, you have the the phantom stranger in the sky in the background. Um, excellent cover, intense, um, creepy, very well done. Yeah, and the color choices are neat. So you know, the guy's wearing like a blue suit with a white shirt and a striped tie. And they have the moon, you know, full blast behind the tree where you can see, you know, only parts of it. The, the car is like this drab green color. And then the, the skyline kind of behind the guy is green as well. And the Phantom Stranger is back there in like a, a, a serpent kind of thing, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, li- I like the purples and the blues popping off that green. It, it, it looks good. Yeah, it's interesting choices, but yeah, really good. And then the whole logo too. follow me for I am the Phantom Stranger. And there's the little, you know, corner box kind of with the Phantom Stranger kind of like <laughs> using his finger to say, follow me. <laughs> I yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, very. that's yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good stuff. So, yeah, this one uh, is called The Curse, and it's uh, written by Robert Kaniger and pencils, inks and letters by Jim Aparo and it's broken up into, you know, a little like chapters kind of. And the first one's called the curse, then the curse of shaft seven. And then we finally have the curse of the sea siren. And, um, they're, they're all, all part of the same story, basically. And it kind of follows the same narrative. Like we've, you know, seen before where you know, there's some storytelling here and I'm just going to, you know, quick, uh, rattle off at, the uh, DC, uh, fandom here. There's a little, uh, synopsis just for the, you know, kind of the lead in, not every, thing uh and we can dive into the stories you know individually as we're going along here but it just says uh <laughs> mr square wild rose spartacus and attila are heading to vulcan castle along the way their sailboat is attacked by tala who was once more fought off by the phantom stranger they save their derelict ship by dr 13 who is also going to the castle determined to determine if vanessa vulcan is indeed cursed to that every man she kisses ends up dying after the Phantom Stranger saves Vanessa from Tala, before hearing the story of the curse, both Doctor Thirteen and the Phantom Stranger tell similar stories that supports each man's beliefs. So, all right, that's uh, going to point us in the direction we need to go here. But uh, why don't we start out with the splash page here? So, this is a really uh, interesting splash page. I like the way Aparo laid this out, and I like the way pretty much everything looks in this uh, first uh, splash. What do you think? I I really like this a lot. The you have the uh, large fan of Stranger pulling back a curtain to the characters, you know, Mr. Square and Wild Rose and as they're talking to people in this village. And he does this nice introduction. But the way his size and it's not it's not one of those images where, like, you have two or three fan of Strangers like we've seen and they're floating in the air and stuff. He's he's introducing this just like the Crypt Keeper would introduce something or, you know, Cain or Abel. Um, but he looks great doing it. He's got the medallions on the cloak, the hat. I think it just looks really cool. And it's a it's a nice introduction to what we're going to read. Yeah, it's it's really good. I don't think, you know, this is one of those uh, splash pages I look at and I don't think anything could have been done better. I just I. I think it's really well laid out. The, the color choices, at least on the digital version here, are really neat. And I like how it shows, you know, almost like three different, you know, 
uh, situations where they're asking for directions and everybody in the town's kind of like buzz off. I think what does the one guy say? Ask the devil when they <laughs> they ask for directions to this Vulcan castle. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like the way that it's not just square panels. There's this, um, the, you know, these wavy lines breaking up the the different pictures, like mm-hmm. smoke or mist or whatever. And we'll see this throughout the whole thing. The the mood is really set by these backgrounds and the line work throughout the pages, you know, when it's windy or rainy and it's just really so well done that there's an eerie tone set right in this page with just this, you know, what is it? Two thirds of a page with these panels on it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I think it looks dynamite. Yep. And then as soon as you flip to the next page, you know, you see, you know, the, the, the gang here, Wild Rose, Spartacus, uh, Attila, and Mr. Square. And <laughs> they uh, are able to uh, procure a boat to sail out uh, to this island, which it's not that far. You can literally, they're on land, and you can just look right out in the, the sh- uh, past the shoreline there, and there it is. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is it, like a quarter mile, half mile? I mean, at the most, maybe only a quarter mile. You can see it pretty good, right? Yeah, exactly. So they, <clears throat> this all seems just a little bit too contrived um but yeah they so they get on this boat and the sail turns out to be tala so she <laughs> and she flies away and the boat i mean all of a sudden the storm has come up and the boat starts to sink right mm-hmm. so she's i mean she's like she's out to get these kids and has been in the last couple issues but there's no is there's never any development as to why these kids are doing what they're doing. They just show up in these crazy places. Tala shows up. Um, it, it's fun, but it's a li- it's it's a little weak. But yeah, she flies off. She's the sail. She looks sexy and everything. And all of a sudden, here's the Phantom Stranger showing up to stop her and save the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she almost looks like a Macy's Day Parade balloon there when she first comes off of the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's great. Like those big ones, like the big Snoopy or something. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty good stuff. You know, the artwork is real good. And yeah, the Phantom Stranger, you know, once again confronts her and she uh, flies off. And then this is a pretty good feat of strength here by the Phantom Stranger. He dives into the water after the boat went under and he, you know, basically goes underneath the boat and picks it up. And I mean, it's it's not a huge boat, but, it, you know, it's not an ocean liner here. He's not Superman, but it's a pretty decent-sized boat with four people in it. And he seems to pick it up without uh, very much effort. Yeah, exactly. And it, But it, it looks – the whole thing looks great. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the stormy ocean, you have these – all these blue panels with the, you know, the water and the wind and the rain. And then underwater um, – you know, there's a lot of swirling and a whirlpool and everything, and it just looks great. But, yeah, he seems to push this boat up from the, you know, the floor of whatever bay they're in or whatever up um, and saves the kids. And then, boom, there, there's good old Terry 13 just happening along in his motorboat, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> does Maria go everywhere with him? Like, some of this stuff's kind of dangerous. Why? And she's just like a wallflower. It isn't like she does anything or has any special abilities or anything. She could like seriously get hurt. Some of these things he's getting her into. Like, why doesn't he just leave her on land? Yeah, exactly. She, she, she is supportive, but 
she never does anything of consequence and just reassures Terry in all his, uh, you know, annoying, you know, this isn't supernatural or whatever. There's an explanation for it. That's all she does is she's like a little cheerleader for him. Yeah. He says, looks like you teenagers need a toe. Lose your sail. And Wild Rose says, we had one when we started, Dr. 13. Thank God you arrived. <laughs> and uh, you just missed the big show, Doc. The Phantom Stranger just faded away after bringing us up out of a whirlpool. And Dr. 13 says, what whirlpool? The sea's calm as glass. You must have been fooled by a mirage formed by the fog. <laughs> what? And then this is funny, though. This is interesting. He, there's a close-up on him, and he looks really cranky. And he goes, the whirlpool, it's gone, somebody says, one of the kids, just like the Phantom Stranger. And he's pointing out, and there is a little boat out there floating around. And he says, the Phantom Stranger, that stage charlatan's up to his usual tricks of hypnosis and deception. He's probably <laughs> clinging to the keel of that rowboat drifting away, silently laughing to himself at your swallowing his cheap stunts. Don't pay any attention to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so it's like oh here we go it's you know page four and he's already like pu pushing the limits here right <laughs> oh yeah i mean it, it's the most preposterous things to explain away the phantom stranger and what he does and you know the events that the two of them get involved in they're just so and i think that's sort of what the writers are doing right they're supposed mm -hmm. to they're trying to make him seem like this whacked out you know, my way or the highway kind of guy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, next page then we have, you know, the Phantom Stranger. He seems to be pulling a Jesus here and he's walking on water and he's <laughs> yeah. watching the boats, you know, get, go into the, go to the island to, uh, you know, go to this crazy castle. And it says shortly after disembarking on the eerie island, there's this bald dude and he goes, Dr. 13, you've got to do something to help my daughter, Vanessa. She thinks she's been cursed. That her kiss means death to every man who loves her. And I'm thinking, man, she looks pretty young. How many guys have loved her already? Like, no pal. But <laughs> she she does have uh, uh, some uh, evidence to back these claims up. But it's interesting. It shows her, and she's standing at the top of one of the, like the I, I can't remember what they call it, but part of the you know one of the tops of this castle. And then there's Tala egging her on to basically commit suicide. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that was that to me. That was the one of the most shocking things in this story, is that you know you have this evil sorceress witch character, but she's talking to her, talking to her to commit suicide. That's a pretty mm -hmm. violent act for a book like this. I mean, yeah, we've seen you know demons and things like that, and you know I I don't know if we've seen any characters die yet, but she's talking to this young woman into committing suicide. That's a little mm -hmm. heavy. Yeah, and she's a, a redheaded girl, and she's you know, in this crazy little you know 60s kind of dress, and Tala says, Come, Vanessa, I'll give you a release from your curse. The sea below will embrace you with peaceful arms. Come, come. And then the chick does jump off, and she looks like a bottle rocket or a lawn dart going towards <laughs> yeah. the water here. It's kind of a funky position she's in. I don't know uh, the take a, a tenth of a point off of a Paro's, you know, total score here, because that looks really crazy, like she was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, it almost looked like the, the idea was that when she was in some kind of trance or whatever, but that doesn't come through in the, you know, in the dialogue. It looks like she is just leaping to her death. 
Mm-hmm. And then luckily the Phantom Stranger swoops in and grabs her like literally only a couple of feet before she's about to hit the rocks below and smash her head open. And he brings her inside and uh, we do get a sob, you know, choke and sob are two of my favorite effects. She says, you saved me from for the, the curse sob. And he goes, no, I saved you to live. And then uh, the, the sky, I think it's her dad is that stranger. Did you see him appearing out of nowhere? He caught my daughter. It was like magic. And of course, that's all you need to do is say that in front of Dr. <laughs> 13. And he gets completely riled up here, doesn't he? He does. I uh, Just to go back to when the, the stranger grabs her, when he brings her inside for the the, the sobbing, um, I really like that panel. It, mm-hmm. there's, it really kind <clears> of <throat> conveys that the gothic, almost that gothic romance that this book, yeah. that tone that this book hits most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, really nice with the <clears throat> everything's in shadow um, and it's light, l- lighter outside. Uh, I thought that panel was quite well done. But yeah, almost, back to back to 13. No, ma- no magic, Mr. Vulcan, but a stunt man's trick. And so he goes into his ridiculous <laughs> explanation. <laughs> yeah, that panel you were talking about above, Phantom Stranger, he almost looks like Dracula there with that woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, the Phantom Stranger, he's trying to impress you for a reward. Let's see how your daughter is after that shock. And it's like, where's he getting this from? The Phantom Stranger has never asked anybody for money before. Yeah, it, 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 everything he says is just such nonsense in this story. You know, there's nothing nothing even plausible to the his explanations at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she goes running, Father, the curse is tearing me apart. A strange woman in the mist up there promised me peace in the sea. And there we go. We got a sob. And uh, <laughs> I think this might be like one of the people that work for him, a groundskeeper or something like that. He says, hear her, Mr. Vulcan. She thought she saw a ghost. I warned you not to bring the castle here from Transylvania. It's cursed. So now we we know why it's cursed, because it's from Transylvania. And then and we get a little thing here. There's a little tiny uh, floating head here. I think it's, again, uh, her dad. And he says, maybe it's true. Old Count Druga cursed me when I brought his castle after he was bankrupt. And we see a panel just again, this is you wouldn't see something like this in modern storytelling. It's one panel and basically gives the backstory is all you need. One panel. Mm-hmm. It's really. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. The, the old, it's the old guy cursing him. One of the things I really liked in this, and I ought to go back and see if they did it in the other in the previous issues. Every time the they're depicting a memory or something from the past, the panels have rounded edges like a you know like mm-hmm. a TV screen or something. Yeah. And all the panels in the present are square edged normal panels. And I th- I thought that was such a neat touch um just to I don't know make it easier on the reader as the page as the panels flow from page to page. But mm-hmm. it was such a neat little thing. I really dug that. Yeah, and we'll see, you know, because you flip to the very next page and the Dr. 13's here and he's going to be like, oh, yeah. Well, I was told once before there was a ghost and something was haunted. And, you know, here's the story. And it's the curse of Shaft 7. And it's basically <laughs> a, a an alleged uh, haunted uh, pole mine here. But like you said, this is where we get the cover. You know, the cover just showed some random guy getting attacked by this tree. But here in this very first page, we see Dr. 13 was the one driving down this road. and These tree branches attack him. And it's so crazy because 
you know, this is obviously when Dr. 13 tells one of his stories, it's always uh, how he's always right. It's always just shenanigans. There's never anything supernatural. And that the story usually shows that as well. But when you see these tree branches reaching out for him and then wrapping their branches around his neck and then later the explanation for this, I'm thinking there's no way, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I when I like you said, his stories, there's always an explanation for everything that happens. But the way this one starts off, like we saw on the cover with these branches grabbing him and they're really strangling him. They lift him out of the car. I, I did think to myself, oh, maybe this story is going to be somewhat supernatural. But they, I mean, they do come up with some kind of quote explanation at the end. But it's still a really neat sequence of events here. Mm-hmm. And I love that panel too, where he's getting choked. And not just because he's a pain in the arse, but because it's really good artwork by Aparo. <laughs> oh, yeah. You definitely you can see the pain in his face. He's got his eyes clenched shut. Um, he's writhing, his fingers are, you know, he's gripping nothing, but yeah, it's very well done. You can tell he's in a lot of pain. And now that I'm looking at it, uh, the next panel where it shows him uh, aloft above his convertible being choked, Mr. Saying, oh, don't listen to the Phantom Stranger. He's going to want some reward money. What does Terrence 13 do for a living? Does he, <laughs> does he charge these people to debunk these things? And he's driving... A Mercedes convertible, by the way. You can clearly see that's what it is. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, okay, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> mm, and then he gets dropped to the ground, and then we do see, you know, the thing that supposedly is haunting this uh, this shaft in this area is this glowing ghost, flaming ghost, and he goes, it's shaking its bony fist at me. <laughs> so <laughs> and we do see it, and it kind of reminds you of, like, Dr. Phosphorus a little bit, right? Yeah, very much so. Or um, the uh, glow-in-the-dark villain from one of the early Scooby-Doo episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's this. This, this the is space kook. <laughs> the kooky space kook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! And he goes, "The apparition's gone." Uh, he goes, "The human mind can play tricks, even on me, a ghost breaker. This is the only road to town. I'll check in at a hotel, sleep, visit the mine with a clear head." So he's just basically making excuses that he's tired. That's why something yeah. crazy happened, which, you know, that's that's right up his alley. But, yeah, he goes to the you know next day, the, the coal company and says, like, hey, what's going on here? You think it's haunted? And they're like, yeah, a guy got killed down there. Basically, you know, from what he's saying is that the, the safety regulations are not so great. So the guy ended up getting killed down there. And uh, that's 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 him. The, the The flaming skeleton guy is him, you know, haunting them. Right. Well, actually, it's his twin brother. Don't forget that <laughs> Scooby-Doo answer. It's, he uh, actually does die in these panels, uh, curses the the mine, and then his twin brother gets the revenge. <laughs> yeah, this was like a Haney story, because why couldn't it just be his brother? Why did it have to be a twin? Because he's, yeah. in, he's in a costume. Exactly, exactly. There's no reason for it to be a twin, because nobody no. sees... The, the story isn't, oh, he's come back from the dead. It's a flaming ghost. He's, it's a full body costume. So the twin idea is just, you know, it's soap opera shenanigans kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm no expert on coal mining. Uh, it's used to be a booming, huge thing in the area where I live. But uh, he Terry goes down there and he sees the, uh, the birdcage and the, he goes, the canary's dead. 
indicating an accumulation of coal dust, a warning that the air is becoming noxious. And I thought, yeah, I think that was more of a, a gas thing, not coal dust, because you're in a coal mine. There's going to be coal dust all over the place. I think yeah. it was more like a, I, like, I don't know if I want to say methane gas, but some kind of gas that could be trapped down there in those mines. And if the canary died, everybody knew you get had to get out of there because, uh, you know, you were going to be next if you didn't get out of there and get the fresh air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he keeps going. So he knows it's dangerous and he keeps going, which, you know, I get it. He's supposed to be the hero and all that, but um, it's, it's just a little bit uh, much. If it's that dangerous, how does he come out of this unscathed, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he does run into the, the flaming ghost and I don't know. It looks like it just comes over and grabs him by the arm and, it, I don't. I guess this is supposed to, it looks like a caption box, but it, it, it almost, I think, is supposed to be his monologue. It says, his touch burned like a third rail. And you just hear, ah, and he falls over and gets knocked out. But from one panel to the next, it doesn't, it doesn't really show that. It just shows him being grabbed by this guy. And then, you know, like, the next time you see him, he's standing there with his flashlight looking around as if, you know, he's he's good to go. Yeah, exactly. We don't get any any... Um, indication that time has passed here. You know that that he was unconscious, that he was delirious or out of it. Uh, it just seems like the ghost is gone, and all of a sudden he's walking around with his flashlight again. I love how the one coal miner says, "It's easy to see you've met the flaming ghost, Doctor Thirteen. Can you deny it?" And he goes, "No, but I've just begun the fight against fear <laughs> and superstition." And he says, he thinks to himself. There must be an explanation, or I'll be the first to fail my ghost-breaking ancestors. And I'm thinking, oh, now that's what it's all about? That's why he's, you know, a jerk, because his ancestors were ghost-breakers, too? But maybe they were nice about it. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody says to him, uh, death awaits you in Shaft 7. And he goes, death or the truth. <laughs> he's in the <laughs> elevator shaft there, and he goes down again, and he meets up with uh, the flaming ghost. But this time, instead of you know waiting for him to get grabbed, he socks the ghost like twice, clobbering him and knocking him half unconscious. And then he uh, takes the the, the Scooby Doo mask off here, and it's you know like you said, it's it's a twin brother. Which again, it could have been a cousin, it could have been an uncle. Why <laughs> a twin brother? Like what? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Story looks great though. I mean the 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 glowing red flaming skeleton really cool looking um the fight or the fight the the, the two punches um nice action action sequence um the the way the coal mines depicted with the darkness and the the light hits from uh 13 in certain ways all just really looks great the whole sequence mm-hmm. and then as the guys laying there like beaten he uh, lets uh, Dr. 13 in on how he did the uh, the, the, the trick with uh, choking him with the trees. And I was just like, what? And it says, <laughs> when I released the trap, branches whipped down at your throat, but you managed to escape. And I'm thinking, again, when you look at the artwork, whipped down at his throat, there's no way you can concoct any kind of trap to make tree branches like wrap themselves around somebody's throat. It, like you could pull the branch back and like, whip somebody in the face with it like on a cartoon or something but you can't make it choke somebody and it was like throttling them in that pick 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Dr. 13 with his pipe is puffing away and says, Vincent Crone's death ended the curse. The mine was improved, reopened. I'd exposed another ghost. And Phantom Stranger's standing there and he goes, <laughs> he's got some, uh, uh, some lip for, uh, I, and I do like that about Phantom Stranger. He'll fire off right back at Dr. 13. Mm-hmm. If, you know, he, when he gets tired of his crap, he'll, he'll come right back at him. And he says, there are all kinds of ghosts and curses, Dr. 13. Let's see you solve this one. It happened years ago in the fishing port of Gloucester. I call it. And then you flip the next page, the curse of the sea siren. And <laughs> this one's really crazy, too. So you see a guy walking down a dock. And then all of a sudden you look and there's like, again, like I can't remember what those are called, but sometimes on the front of a ship, they have those like, you know, hand carved, like wooden, you know, effigies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yep. it, it, it obviously looks like Tala, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what kind of threw me a little. Is it supposed to be Tala? I mean, because it later on we see what happens and Tala has nothing to do with this story, right? No. And I also thought, too. <laughs> The Phantom Stranger, when we first met Tala a couple issues ago, he acted like that was the first time he had met her. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it doesn't make sense it, if this is a flashback. Yeah, I think I think it's just co- artistic coincidence. I mean, I don't know, but because it, it's it's definitely not supposed to be Tala that we're aware of. Mm-mm. No, but it's yeah, it sure as heck looks like her. And then, you know, there's a guy. It's like I said, walking along the pier, and you can see this this ghost or whatever this thing is, a sea siren, kind of n- knocks him off, right? Knocks him off the ledge, and uh, he drowns. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's made his last trip, somebody <laughs> says. That, that goes in to try to get his body out of the water. It's like, what? And then uh, all of a sudden, it looks like uh, Phantom Stranger's there, and he goes, what about that curse? And this uh, guy says, it all started when my father spoke to my older brother, Frank, and me on his deathbed. And he basically says uh, to, you know, the one brother, I'm leaving my fishing boat to Frank. You're too young and irresponsible, Bill. And Frank says, you did right, Pop. And Bill says, no, that's not fair. You could have at least let me uh, let me have half. And uh, so then the other brother keeps, you know, uh, like goading him and making fun of him that he, you know, got this and got that. And then I love the part where he, uh, he slugs him. I thought, yep, that's two brothers. that don't belong. Oh, definitely. They're definitely brothers. You can't treat me like dirt. And he pops him right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. And pops him in the mouth and then the boat just leaves him there. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's fantastic. And then this is crazy. So, uh, the Frank is in the water and uh, all of a sudden you hear, Frank, look out, sharks coming at you. And there's two sharks literally like bearing down on him. So I think that means he's toast. Yeah. And then we see the the the, the ghostly thing on the front of the ship, the wooden thing. Mm-hmm. Its eyes light up as Frank is, you know, getting it from the sharks. Um, and then, you know, we learn more about the curtain. No one. I'll never sail the sea siren again. So all the crews getting spooked. Um and then we see the Phantom Stranger talking to the the brother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the brother. Nick was Nick was the only one to defy the curse. Look what happened to him. I'm finished. No one will dare sail with me. 
And the Phantom Stranger says, I will. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just joined the Merchant Marine here, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that panel right above, too, by the way, uh, a guy, Tony, fell out of the uh, the lookout mast or crow's nest or whatever you call it and died. And there he is laying there and he's like, he's done. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. And then, yeah, the, the you know, Bill, he starts going crazy. He goes, do you hear him? It's Frank cursing me from the sea. And the Phantom Stranger says, Bill, look out. You're steering straight for that reef. Let go of the wheel before we crash. And he's like hypnotized or something, so he won't. So the Phantom Stranger pulls the old G.I. Joe and gives him the old karate <laughs> chop to the back of the neck and knocks him out. Yeah. I wish that, I wish these couple panels had had like some ghostly voice and words floating across them. Cause like yeah. the only explanation we have is, you know, the the shocked look on Bill's face. And then he says he hears Frank, but something like, uh, you know, uh, Bill, I'm going to get you in, in ghostly lettering or something would have been quite appropriate, I think, on those few pages. Or panels. Yeah. yeah, it definitely would have been better, for sure. Um, <laughs> so then he starts waking up after he knocked out and he goes, I, I don't know what came over me. I don't hear a voice anymore. Thanks to you. And Stranger says, you never will again, Bill. The evil thing that caused it is gone. The curse is ended. And I'm thinking, why is the curse ended? But if you noticed in the panel before, when the boat did kind of knock into the reef, you can see that statue or, like I said, whatever you want to call it on the front of the boat, gets broken off and goes down into the bottom of the ocean. And the Phantom Stranger is like, you know, that was the whole part of the curse. That's where all these bad things were happening. And it, You know, if you're Phantom Stranger and you're trying to convince Dr. 13, I will admit that's not the best story to go with. You know, that's... Uh, I don't know. Some of those things could be could be just accidents. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing other than on these pages, the visuals that we know it's this cursed object. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it's it certainly is not the best uh, proof the the stranger could offer for uh, thirteen to believe in curses. I think you're right about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was funny too. And then. Uh... Phantom Stranger basically says, uh, you know, back of the present to Dr. 13, like, ha ha, see, you know, that's 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 my story. And I'm sticking to it. And Dr. 13 goes ridiculous. The curse never harmed anyone. I've proved it. <laughs> and then Vanessa says, what about me? I've been cursed and my kiss has brought the death of three young men who wanted to marry me. Follow me and I'll tell you all about it. So now we got her telling a story. It's like, oh boy, all the three different people telling stories here is just like it's making my head spin a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but she has a. Uh, we we walk uh, out onto like a, a like a, a precipice here, like right by the ocean, and there's you know like a burial ground there and a you know a headstone and everything. And she goes, and I'll start it with Thomas' son Nicholas. He was alive once. Now he lies in that grave. And uh, the guy says, "Please, Miss Vanessa, it wasn't your fault, was it, Selena?" And she says, "My brother could not help loving her. Who could?" even if he was just a gardener's son. And I'm like, wow, pretty strong words there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now we get this flashback, right, to when the this uh, uh, Nicholas and um, the girls are young, they're kids, and they, we get the impression they grew up together. And then <clears throat> she becomes quite the debutante, right? And she's, mm -hmm. she's with this handsome blonde guy while Nicholas is outside and the he loves her and <clears throat> then he takes off because she won't she won't be with him. Right. She can't. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So, yeah, the guy, the other guy gets all jealous, you know, the one that can't have the girl. Yeah. So, yeah. And <laughs> so after he kind of like grabs her by the arm and he's saying, you know, about loving her and this and that and kind of, you know, being a little kind of crazy about it. She says, I don't want to hurt you, Nicholas, but I have to tell you the truth. We're not children any longer playing games. I don't love you. It's Lee I really love. And he goes, those words will turn to ashes in your mouth. You'll see. I'm like, wow. Holy crap. Yeah, that that's tough stuff for, you know, the this young woman that you grew up with. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden uh, she's in bed and she says, late that night, Selena awakened me. And it's her buddy Selena that says, Nicholas, once you, Vanessa, come with me quickly before it's too late. And <laughs> uh, she goes out into the other room and it says, my heart was torn at the sight of the gasping Nicholas. And he says, gasp, gasp. <laughs> Life <laughs> is not worth living without you, Vanessa. But I'll see that no one else has you. Gasp, gasp. The poison that's burning in my veins will affect any man who dares kiss you. My curse on them. May your kisses cause their deaths. I curse. Ah, and he croaks right there on the spot. <laughs> and, you know, you get Vanessa and she says to Dr. 13 and the Phantom Stranger, you know, like shows a panel from behind the back of her head with her hand kind of in the air. And Dr. 13's on her left and Phantom Stranger's on her right. And she says, and so the curse started growing like a cancer. Come with me to my family mausoleum and I'll show you its victims. And I'm like, wow. So they have a family mausoleum. They're that rich. And her dead boyfriends get to be buried there? What? That was the thing. I, first thing I thought. It's like, all these... Did she marry these guys and then they died? Because why are they in the family mausoleum? Mm -hmm. If they're just dead boyfriends, you know? Yeah, I mean, it'd be one thing if you had, like, an extra mausoleum just sitting there. <laughs> you wanted to put them in there. But in your family one? Like, what do you... Why would you do that? That's crazy. She, like, yeah. dated a guy for a month. Oh, now he's dead. Okay? Why is he in your family's mausoleum? Yeah, that... That was very odd choice to, to to have it be done that way. Yeah, very very weird. So, oh, this one's really nasty. So the next uh, poor sap that's up is uh, uh, this guy. She says, or the guy says to her, "You'll never hit anything if you close your eyes when you fire Vanessa." Looks like he took her duck hunting or something or some kind of. It yeah, almost looks like it, something illegal. It looks like they're shooting hawks or eagles or something. <laughs> But yeah, th isn't this is Lee from the the mm -hmm. dance in the previous scene, right? This is the man she she let, loved instead of Steve or whatever his name was, Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, yes. Lee was very persuasive, and they're making out. And he says, "I love you, Vanessa. I'll ask your father's permission for us to marry as soon as possible." And then it says, "My father was delighted. The wedding date was fixed. Then one terrible day, when Lee was cleaning his collection of arms, and he's like, "Today, Vanessa will be mine." And again, he's got like a shotgun or something there. And wow, that last panel, that is really nasty. I shouldn't say last panel, that middle panel on the far right. The gun goes off and it was loaded and blasts him. Oh, man, what about that? Yeah, that very, I mean, it's not a gory panel by any stretch, but it's it's very violent because you can see he's he's cleaning his weapon and it's pointed directly at him. Mm -hmm. And it goes off and it, I mean... It's all left to our imagination, but he gets it right in the midsection. So, I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's a pretty gruesome way to go. Yeah, that's nasty. And then you see her, and she's, she's, that says, it was a mournful wedding day when I heard the dreadful news. So, what was this guy doing on his, the, the, the eve of his wedding? 
he was cleaning his guns. I'm thinking, dude, I can think of a lot better things to do. Like, you know, <laughs> guy, guy, guys are supposed to do bachelor parties that night, not sit home cleaning their gun collection. Yep. Yep. And now I'm just thinking of Tom Hanks in bachelor party. So, <laughs> 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 so all of a sudden, uh, uh, Terry says, no, Vanessa, it wasn't a curse. Men are accidentally killed all the time cleaning guns. They thought they were unloaded, and it's in air quotes there. I'm like, why is it? In air quotes. They thought it was unloaded. That's it. That's all you need to say there, Terry. <laughs> yeah. Even, exactly. even his dialogue's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, then what of Michael Lipton? So now we see another guy that started dating her, wanted to marry her. And, oh, this is great. Let's go out on a sailboat together and make out. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the wind kicks up and knocks this poor sap right over. And, oh, man, that page, but especially that bottom panel. Uh, with the, the the ship, you know, getting teetered over. What do you think there? Yeah, really excellent. You can, the the dangerousness and the violence of the sea and what the capsizing of the boat is done really well. Excellent panel and the look on her face on the in the inset panel, the shock and horror, really well done. Really excellent. Yeah, it's a circular panel, too. She kind of looks like April O'Neil from the Turtles there with that outfit on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so she's like, you know, hey, there's all these people that died. And what about it, Dr. 13? And he's like, no, Vanessa, curses have no power, no power to kill. And she's like, oh, yeah. What about William Howell, this other guy that, you know, wanted to date me and marry me? And they're like, oh, let's go horseback riding. Won't it be great? And uh, poor William gets thrown off in a pretty nasty manner yeah horse jumps he falls into a pile of rocks apparently head first Mm. um yeah tough way to go these guys all i mean there's nothing um supernatural about the way they've gone other than it's a coincidence that they're all boyfriends to this one young woman but they all they all do go pretty in a pretty violent fashion Mm-hmm. And Vanessa says about the curse again, I'm cursed forever. Dr. 13, there's an explanation behind every curse, Vanessa. And the one for this curse is plain and simple. Coincidence, a triple one. I'm thinking, uh, Terry, a coincidence isn't triple. It doesn't happen three times. <laughs> it happens like once. And you're like, okay, maybe twice. Then there's a coincidence. But three times, I don't know about And they're all dead, too. It's not like yeah. one of them broke his leg or something. They're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a good panel there close up on the phantom stranger and he goes perhaps there's another explanation dr 13 uh come with me and i'll try to prove it yeah and so he he starts pointing at the 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 gravestone that's out on that that precipice right on the island it Mm -hmm. all started with nicholas's curse but did it end with his burial let's see Mm -hmm. so then we we turn the page and they're they start to exhume the body right they're they're Mm -hmm. digging up this this coffin and it's uh phantom stranger and some of the other people that have been standing around right townies yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah dr 13 goes i suppose you expected to find an empty coffin well you just proved yourself a charlatan phantom stranger there's nicholas you can't blame him for the three deaths he's dead and all of a sudden phantom stranger says is he dead men don't perspire and you can see some sweat coming down his cheek there. I thought that was a pretty good touch. Yeah, plus he hasn't decayed at all. I yeah. mean, isn't that another obvious thing that 
maybe something's going on here that this man who's presumably she did decide to marry these other men a week apart from his death and he looks totally fine so that's mm-hmm. a clue right there if you ask me <laughs> yep and of course you know yes he's he's alive so uh he's got a pistol so he pulls a pistol out and says vanessa goes first because i can't have her no one else will <laughs> which is always <laughs> fantastic uh way of thinking there he almost shoots wild rose here and uh i think that's attila jumps and knocks her out of the way and says out of the way baby i can't let you be clay let you be a clay pigeon with this character running wild losing his cool and <laughs> you know phantom stranger then there's another panel that shows phantom stranger and uh it looks like uh I'm doctor 13 and the guy kind of shoots in his direction and he goes give me that gun you're in tr- you're in trouble enough and ah because he got shot and he goes fool out of my way and uh he does uh, kind of pack it in after that because he's been shot it looks like probably in the arm or shoulder but still i imagine i'd probably uh quit for the day as well yeah exactly and then all of a sudden tala shows up right mm-hmm. here, here here she comes the fan stranger is trying to talk to to nicholas as he's backing away from him or i, I mean i don't know mm-hmm. and then tala shows up and she's apparently behind a lot of this right mm-hmm. yes i did i turned thomas into a warlock with super hypnotic powers and you phantom stranger can see and hear me admit it so i does that mean the rest of the people don't see tala in this case like only the phantom stranger knows she's there mm-hmm I Is think so. It? Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of how I felt about it. And yeah, the Phantom Stranger, <laughs> he says to Terry 13, you can't logically explain all curses. Can you, Dr. 13? Farewell, farewell. And <laughs> then Dr. 13 says, the Phantom Stranger's disappearance was covered by the mist. He's lurking out. He's lurking out there somewhere, but it's obvious the three deaths were accidental. A triple coincidence it's never happened before. Nicholas couldn't have done it. Not in this deep a trance. Yeah. And obviously he did it. He he owned up to it in the previous panels. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's pretty far-fetched the way Terry 13 talks his way out of these things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this might, out of the issues we all the stories we've read so far, this might be one of the uh, least believable explanations that he's come up with, I guess is the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, but it's it, I mean, it's a fine story. Excellent art. Um, I, I, I really enjoy the art in it. Jim Apparel mm. just did top notch work. Dr. 13 here. Do you have the, the backups in yours too? Yeah, the, there's these two, uh, what is it, two one-pagers um, yeah. from the secret files of Doctor 13. <laughs> yeah, and I think those are just, like, from, like, very old comics, aren't they? They must be. They, 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 it looks like reprint material that, you know, was in some kind of, I don't know if it was showcase or well, action just, comics, you know. Yeah, I just looked it up here. It says it's the script, pencils, and inks for the first one are by a guy called Morris Waldinger? I've never heard of that guy. And it was House of Mystery number 28 from 1954. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty wild. And then the second one is uh, same guy again, 
but that's from a backup from Green Lantern number one from 1960, which, again, that's pretty wild. What does Doctor 13 and Green Lantern have to do with each other? Yeah, so this these are just filler pages that, you know, somebody yeah. whipped up or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The first one's a, a, a weird story about this guy wakes up in a, a gas-filled room, hallucinates, and, <laughs> you know, um, opens the window and everything's fine, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, they're just like, I guess they needed two more pages to round out the book. So just use two one-pagers and throw them in there rather than pay somebody to do a new two-page story, right? Yeah. Yeah, the second one, I do like that panel, though, where he's <laughs> he's uh, lowering that, uh, what is that, a coin down the well there? <laughs> yeah, a, a, a black penny dipped into a well whose water ran southward, giving this pen, penny-tainted water to the cattle it was thought they'd be relieved of their madness oh my so gosh it's these are like you know ripley's believe it or not type stories or you know mm-hmm. old quote old wives tales something like that um so they're i mean kind of cute yeah yeah they're they're pretty kooky but um yeah so that's it for that one um and now you know we'll we'll bounce into uh issue number eight here which I, I'm not sure when I got this one. It's it's not in the greatest shape, my copy. There's a, a chunk out of the bottom right-hand corner of the cover. and Yeah, it's it, it doesn't look awesome. But, hey, it's complete, and <laughs> it's it's got a really cool, crazy cover and uh, interiors as well. So uh, why don't we jump into that one, which is cover dated July, August 1970. Um, and this one, again, it has a Neil Adams cover. So uh, what do you what do you think of this cover? I really like this cover. It's it's To me, it's a good you know, scary cover monster kind of comic book. But yeah, you got the big ice monster, this, what looks to be a, a, a ship with the crew going overboard and being frozen. And again, the, the Phantom Strangers in the, in the images in the clouds again. And this one's, you know, it's all blues and whites with a little bit of green. Excellent cover. Yeah, the one crew member or captain or whatever there that's right kind of up front, too. He's, like, getting <laughs> frozen right there on the, the deck of the boat into ice. It's it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> so, all right, here we go with this one. So this one is called Journey to the Tomb of the Ice Giants. And no, no more shenanigans here with stories and chapters and all that stuff. We've got, like, you know, a 24, 25-page comic here, and it's all one story about, you know, pretty much about what we're talking about here, these these ice monsters. And it's uh, this one's scripted by Denny O'Neill. And I can't remember what it was that I read in here. Hopefully I have it written down in my notes. But there was something I read in here, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's Denny O'Neill, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, Jim Apparel, again, with pencils, inks, and letters. So, yeah, this is a really good one here. So I'll just, uh, like you know, I did with the other one, just uh, read the quick little thing here that they have on uh, DC Fandom just to... To, to, to get us going here. So it says, uh, uh, Terrence 13 and his wife Maria are asked to come up and investigate sightings of ice giants in the north on behalf of the Mutson Oil Company when their owner is frozen in a chunk of ice. The phenomenon also brings out the Phantom Stranger. So, okay, why don't we dive in here? Now, the first page here isn't a splash page, which I opened it up and I thought, wow, that's weird. I wonder why they didn't do a splash page there. But we do get, you know, like a third page, you know, a third splash here where it shows the SS Nightwind, a giant icebreaker uh, going through uh, 
I don't know, somewhere. It's, I think it just says it's at the top of the earth. And it's a, it's a pretty cool panel, that ship. And then we see right away the people that uh, are on the ship, uh, you know, that are looking for uh, oil up there somewhere. Uh, they get, you know, accosted by this crazy giant ice monster, don't they? Yeah. <clears throat> the This um, freighter, icebreaker thing, is moving through ice um, in some Arctic region, we're led to believe, right? Mm-hmm. And then... All of a sudden, you see the ship is picked up by these massive arms. Um, and as the, the crew looks up, you see this ice giant like we had on the cover, um, mm-hmm. you know, with a, you know, an icicle shaped head. Um, <laughs> it's gigantic. And, um, I don't know what to say about it. It's an ice monster, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like, I mean, I think in the, especially perspective-wise, it looks even bigger inside the comic than it does in the cover. It's like Godzilla-sized. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I see it. It's some kind of giant. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, now when you flip the page, there's a, it's like a two-page spread, but it's only about two-thirds of the page, the bottom half of the page, and then across the top, you get four panels, and the Phantom Stranger's on the boat here, and um, he says, no. The one man, the one guy says, we were seeing things, weren't we? And Phantom Stranger says, no, you stood in the presence of evil. And the other guy's like, huh, who are you? And he goes, <laughs> there's a captain up there. He yells down, you two buttercups going to stop sunning yourselves? We've just had a collision, remember? Move it to emergency stations. And the one guy goes, but sir, we were talking to. And the other guy goes, he's gone. And it shows him kind of fading out into the rain and mist and stuff in there and the other guy says i i feel chills in my spine and the other guy i know what you mean and they ain't from the cold and then <laughs> uh oh this bottom what do you speak on this uh bottom uh splash here this two pager yeah so we get this you see the the giant uh, ice giant on the right and then a giant version of the phantom stranger on the left so it's almost like this uh rock of gibraltar kind of thing where they're they're on either side of the the ship, the icebreaker boat, um, with the Phantom Stranger logo on the Phantom Stranger side of the page, and then the title "Journey to the Tomb of Ice of the Ice Giants" under the the Ice Giant, and the Ice Giant has shorts on, green shorts, <laughs> and is wearing a sword, and that's the only clothing he has. No other armor. It's a a new, uh, a mostly nude ice giant in green shorts with a sword. Mm. Looks yeah, great. A little silly, but looks great. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I mean, I got, it was probably, I'm sure, a comic code thing, so they had to put drawers on them. Yeah. But it, it does look kind of ridiculous, and especially because in the page before and on the cover, it doesn't look like he's wearing any kind of pants. Now they have like a, you know, the boat in between the reader and him on the cover and stuff like that. But still, it looks like if he would have been wearing those, you would have been able to pick them out on those uh, other two uh, spots where we saw him already. But yeah, and then again, what does he need a giant sword for? He's just a giant. Unless there's other giants that you need to fight with a sword, what do you need a sword for? You're a giant. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, the sword, other than, <laughs> other than the plot device later in the story, mm. I don't know what a nice giant's doing with a sword. No, but I do like how the Phantom Stranger can make himself into a giant as well here to confront him. Yeah, th- I wonder, is this the first kind of use of making the Stranger um, 
change size. You know what I mean? I think so. Is it just the artistic rendition for this thing, or is is he actually made himself giant? Because in modern comics, that happens all the time. You know, the size of the Phantom Stranger is completely relative to whatever character he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that this picture definitely evokes what I think of as the modern Phantom Stranger. Yeah, and then when you you know flip the page, you get to the uh, headquarters of the Mutson Oil Company in Alaska, and we have our buddy the Kingpin here, and he's asking <laughs> asking his uh, lackey, you know, what happened to the ship, you know, how bad is it? And the guy says, "No way of knowing yet, Mister Mutson. We're trying to get a helicopter through." And he's like, "All right, well, I'm going to go to my private steam bath." Uh, so he goes in there, and he's sitting in there, and there's steam all around him. And I love how he's puffing on a cigar, too. That's just fantastic. But yeah. all of a sudden, he goes, who, who are you? Get out of here. This is a private. No, no, please. And inside a steam bath, he gets frozen solid into a block of ice, which I thought was kind of wild. What do you think? Yeah, and it's exactly like you said. This guy is clearly the kingpin. Mm-hmm. Clearly. And, you know, he goes into this steam bath. So the the Munson Oil Company in Arctic Alaska, right, has a steam bath for their larger than life white bald owner who smokes cigars and takes steam baths in the in the Arctic. <laughs> okay, but yeah, he get he gets frozen, and um, you know we see the 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 blue streaks going over his horrified face as a cigar falls from his mouth. And then the next panel, he's he's literally in a block of ice. Um, <laughs> pretty pretty tough way to, to go for sure. Yeah, and the the guy says that's exactly how I found him, sheriff. So the sheriff is there, and uh, so is Doctor Thirteen. So they 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 have uh, Doctor Thirteen on the case here, and I love how he looks at the bottom when he's checking out that guy encased in ice uh, on the bottom of page five. There, like that's a really good panel there with uh, thirteen and the, the the frozen guy, which all you can see is his head. Yeah, it, good panel. Um, why is he thawing like that? Why is he thawing top down like that? I, <clears throat> sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thirteen says. Uh, well, the the one guy says it's got to be the work of the supernatural, right, Doc? I think that's the sheriff, and he goes, "Nonsense! There is no supernatural. Everything has a natural, logical explanation." And then from off panel, we see, "Don't be too certain of that, Terry." And <laughs> here's what you were talking about earlier: is uh, Terrence thirteen getting crazy here and trying to like punch out the Phantom Stranger, right? Yeah, he he is irrationally angry in these panels, right? Phantom mm-hmm. Stranger, what are you doing here? Same thing you are, Terry, seeking an answer. And then he goes nuts. And if he calls me Terry again, I'll bust him. So help me. And his, <laughs> both his fists are clenched. And then Maria's trying to calm him down. Easy, darling. <laughs> Phantom Stranger's unfazed by all this. But yeah, he, I mean, he is. Terry 13 is seriously pissed off in that panel yeah but this is my favorite part just because dr 13 doesn't like the phantom stranger the sheriff tries to arrest him i'm like dude that's not (laughs) how it works you can't be like i don't like that guy over there arrest him (laughs) like what in the heck and he goes uh 
okay, mister, stick out your wrists. And he has a pistol on him, and he has his handcuffs. Then all of a sudden, the lights go out. Hey, the lights. Storm must have knocked down the lines, and all of a sudden, he's gone. 13. He probably shorted the lights. Typical stunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, he is not believing anything, and Sheriff says, you know, basically, they'll, uh, you know, keep a, an APB out on uh, our buddy, the Phantom Stranger, and then he goes, uh, what do you think killed Mutson? He goes, Terry says, I don't know yet, but this case reminds me of a similar incident. I'll tell you about it. And we do get a crazy little, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like three pages long, four at the most, I think. And uh, where Dr. 13 uh, had the little adventure of the brittle blossom. And there's a guy that's like a, I don't know if you would call him a florist or something like that. And he's into plants and flowers and junk like that. And he ends up being inside his own, you know, uh, well, that's supposed to be like a, a hothouse or greenhouse or whatever. And he ends up frozen inside there, which, you know, sounds impossible. But uh, don't worry, Dr. 13's on the case. He'll figure it out. Yeah, he, he he's there with the police. And this this story is like, you know, one of those old riddles, like, you know, the, the guy's hanging in, in a room with no chairs, no tables, blah, blah, blah. How did he end up killing himself? And he was standing on a block of ice. This is, it's one of the, one of those riddles, this story where, you know, nothing makes sense until the very end when they do the, the oddball explanation, right? Yeah. It's, 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 again, these are, this is just kind of a, a quickie here. Like I said, it's only like, like I said, maybe five pages and they make it pretty easy to figure out there's some shenanigans going on. It's like, it's not one of these that there's, a bunch of detective work you have to do. They kind of show yeah. you something right away. And then once 13 starts to even kind of vaguely piece it together, you know, this kid uh, grabs the cop's gun and, you know, he's going to shoot everybody, but <laughs> 13 steps on a garden hoe and yeah. knocks, knocks the gun out of the guy's hand. And then bam, socks him with a, uh, a right, a, a crash, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, there's not a lot to explain here, right? The, the nephew of this guy who died wanted his money, froze him to death with Freon. Dr. 13 figures it out because all the flowers in the greenhouse are frozen too, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees the, the Freon canister. But yeah, the old uh, the old rake to the arm to disarm the villain trick. <laughs> yeah, I was just <laughs> like, what in the world? Oh, too funny. But um, he then... Uh... We, we then jump back to, you know, the present and yep. uh, we see uh, 13 and uh, Maria are going to, you know, hop on a uh, a chopper to, to go see what's going on out there, you know. And <laughs> there's a Phantom Stranger and he goes, Terry 13, I ask you to remain not to take this journey. And he says, I sense the presence of evil forces such as no mortal can hope to come bat and he goes i warned you to keep out of my way and he tries to punch him again yeah yeah he's he's going to hit him again i mean what's going on here you know i I think it's time for dr 13 to take some anger management um classes because he's clearly making a fine living doing his ghost breaking he's supporting maria they're not married yet right but he's he's Mm -hmm. getting paid by all these from all these people he solves these mysteries for. But the minute he sees the Phantom Stranger, he is out for blood. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, yeah, he <laughs> needs to at least just take a vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, they they're flying with the chopper here 
and they shine their light down and there's something sparkling down there and uh we we know what that is already it's uh our our boy the uh well it's it's maybe it's either the ice giant himself or it's his sword because for some reason his sword is just just thrown in the middle of this like you know passageway through these you know tight tall giant mountains and you know of course terry's just like whoa a sword and uh, Maria's like, oh, it must be for a giant or something like that. And he's like, stop talking nonsense, Maria. There are no such beings. <laughs> and then, thump, he gets <laughs> slapped into like unconsciousness by the ice giant. That's great. That's about what yeah. he deserves, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I love that thump. And he just gets backhanded by the ice giant. All we see is the giant hand, like something out of an episode of Jackass. Right? Wasn't there one? where they had a giant hand and they're knocking mm. guys out from, from around the corner or whatever. Mm. And then we see the next panel or the next page, we see the ice giant again in his green shorts <laughs> and he's got what looks to be an unconscious, uh, Dr. 13 in one hand. Cause he's all drooped over, draped over. <laughs> yeah. Prone. And then, uh, Maria in the other hand, who's screaming to be let go. <clears throat> and then the Phantom Stranger shows up, mm-hmm. which is great. And he's, you know, he's telling the Ice Giant to release the mortals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I I do love that depiction of that Ice Giant there. He looks really creepy. Yeah, he definitely does. Yeah, and the Phantom Stranger starts trying to throw his weight around. He says, do as the woman says or deal with me. And the, uh, the Ice Giant says, I do not recognize you. Still, I sense you are not like these frail ones. And he, Doctor, or I'm sorry, uh, Phantom Stranger says, I am similar and dissimilar. I serve a cause, a master, as ancient as yourself. And in the name of that cause, I demand you release this, release the mortals. And the ice giant, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to release anybody, dude. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tala shows up. And I, <laughs> I just feel like, why did they feel the need to insert her into this? It really, there's a tiny little thing at the end here, but other than that, it was like a totally useless character. Like they basically brought her in here for cheesecake to show like her lips and eye makeup and, you know, sexy dress. And for her to try to get all horny with the Phantom Stranger again. But otherwise she's, she's useless. She really basically does nothing. Yeah. It's, it's quite silly that she just shows up like this. Like every issue we have to put Tala in. Right. But there's no, development of anything with Tala. She just is there. Something happens, you know, she's kissed the Phantom Stranger a couple times now. So I, mm-hmm. I, I guess we're, we're getting to the point where she's trying to seduce this guy. What I do, the one thing I do like is when, when the Phantom Stranger's yelling at the ice giant mm-hmm. and he, you know, he says he serves um, a cause and a master as ancient as yourself. We've, we, we don't know the Phantom Stranger's origin at this point, right? No, so they're they're alluding to something here, which is nice. That's a, you know, it's a nice little, um, make you want to wonder what what is actually who actually is the Phantom Stranger. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, this this scene with Talia comes up, and you know, why there's not even a lot of chaos going on. Yeah, there's this crazy ice giant, and you know he's about to kill Maria and Doctor Thirteen, but. I don't know why Tal is here. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, and this is the part I was thinking to myself. It definitely sounded like uh, Denny O'Neill here, the scripting, when I read this line. Because I thought, what? This is just totally thrown in there. Because I think this is 
you know, part of how Denny was. Um, the Phantom Stranger, you know, he basically keeps saying to this guy, release these people, release these people. And this guy's just kind of like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So then uh, Phantom Stranger says, then I must do all in my power to force you, even use the physical violence I loathe. When did he become a pacifist? I, I don't ever remember him <laughs> saying that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Denny, you so crazy. Like, the Phantom Stranger is not a pacifist. It's not like he's, you know, goes on murderous rampages or just, you know, likes to beat the crap out of everybody that he doesn't like, on, you know, kind of like Dr. 13. But, you know, what are you doing, dude? But <laughs> I like his solution to try to stop the ice giant here. What What do you make of that? The great splash page, by the way, right? <laughs> great splash page. But then, yeah, he uses his cape to blind <laughs> the ice giant and I guess give him a sock in the mouth, right? Mm -hmm. And the ice giant drops the prone 13 and Maria who screams. Um, yeah. But it's like, he's yeah, he's taken the, this massive ice creature with a sword that's five times as big as the stranger out <laughs> with his cape and a punch to the nose. Mm -hmm. but it, it's, it's very short-lived because when you turn to the next page of story, uh, he gets slapped down like a baby by this ice giant and his sound effect is swat and his uh, his hat comes off and we get to see his gray hair yep yeah that was pretty cool yeah and then this is where it gets into overdrive so I, I felt like again this is like one of the crazier plots the ice giant says yeah my brothers have come mankind has awakened us from that self-imposed rest we undertook when we saw the earth changing and we chose to reclaim the planet, which was once hours long before humankind crawled from the slime to his first cave home, we shall march. We shall conquer. And there's got to be at least like two dozen of these ice giants, if not more. Yeah, it's just this big, long line of them coming out of this cave in the distance. Um, and, you know, obviously they're they're pissed. And then we get this great panel of... Um, Phantom Stranger mm -hmm. without the hat His white hair clearly visible Shouting back at the giants About How awful the the earth Is right mm -hmm. Currently the soil has been oh, It's kind of small here The soil has been smothered in concrete And has grown dirty The rivers and streams the very oceans Have been filled with noxious poisons the powers worshipped by Tala have brought strife and hatred everywhere. And that picture is of a, you know, it, to me, it looks like a, a march in the 70s protest mm -hmm. and then riot police. Right. Yeah. The air itself is choked with grime and soot. And we see a cityscape smog. that is blurred by visible smog and fire has claimed the forests. The carelessness has been made has made barren the fields we see desert so the, yeah. the stranger is laying out all the social social and ecological problems present in this in the, the late 60s and the 70s um for these ice giants as the reason they should not go back and try to reclaim the earth yeah Which and it's pretty it's, pretty over the top i mean yeah, it's pretty wild. We we've never had anything like that up until this point in this book. And again, that's that's kind of who Denny was as a writer, at least during mm -hmm. this period, you know, late sixties and seventies. Um yep. so I thought to myself, yeah, I kind of feel like if you would have gave me multiple choice and <laughs> had three or four answers there and he was one of them, I would have been like, Oh yeah, that's who wrote that book. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so the Phantom Stranger basically, you know, is is told, listen, you know, you, you I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know, can you at least re- release the woman? And the ice guy is just like kind of like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But the Tala shows up again to cause some more shenanigans here, and this was really weird, man. This this story, I liked it and I loved the artwork, but it ends really, really weird. So what what do you make of this ending here, where it looks like Tala pushes Maria to the ice giants because they say, oh, we need, you know, we're gonna give somebody up. We need to take somebody, like a life for a life, almost. What what did you make of this last scene? Yeah. So, all right. So the Phantom Stranger has convinced the ice giants to not go reclaim the world, the earth, the earth, because it's a terrible place now and there's, there's nothing for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they then agree, but they need a sacrifice. So they want Maria. Okay. I guess. <laughs> sure. But then Tala shows up to like, just say, yeah, here, take her and go. <clears throat> I, yeah. So, and then they march off with her. Back mm-hmm. to their cave, and the Phantom Stranger picks up um, the still-prone Terry 13, right? <laughs> Throws him over his shoulder. <laughs> Shows him over his shoulder, and then gets dynamite out of the helicopter <laughs> to blow up the ice cave. With yeah, seal it shut. Maria still in there. And I'm like, I... I don't understand. Why isn't the Phantom Stranger trying to save Maria? He saw Tala do what she did. He always tries to rescue the humans. He saved those four kooky teenagers who sunk in a boat in the previous issue. Why isn't he going to save Maria? I I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, really kooky. But then... You know, after he blows the entrance closed for the you know the, the ice giants pad there, it's just a big room or something like that. And it's like, you know, blasting effect. And then you go to the final, I shouldn't say the final, the next to the last page here, and all of a sudden you hear, What happened? Where am I? And the Phantom Stranger turns around and says, Maria, but you couldn't have escaped. It's impossible. And then you hear, Nothing is impossible for me. And there's Tala again, kind of just, you know, throwing a few jabs at Phantom Stranger, but then just disappearing, like, you know, oh, well, yeah, you got me this time, but, you know, next time I'll get you, right? Yeah. I, yes, I took her place. I clouded your minds, cast an illusion to trick your eyes into believing I was the mortal. So she took the place of Maria and then is able to escape because she's Tala and screw the ice giants, and then she just poof disappears so i mean which is it all right so if she supposedly causes chaos and confusion and things like that maybe i understand what she was doing there a little bit but i don't know it's a stretch it's a stretch to to come up with something that's a good explanation for the events in these two pages yeah and like we said too when we first started out you know, especially on the second issue, like literally Tala just seems very, very out of place and even more so in this story than the previous one. Right, that's the way yeah. I feel anyway. Yep. I do like how this the, the very how this ends right the last couple panels. Maria's back. She gets to the chopper. Terry 13's come to 
and they're going to fly away. And then in the last panel, we see the ice giant sword after Terry explains there's no such thing as ice giants. So that was kind of a nice, nice little ending to the, to the story, which I generally really liked. It's just that, that weird switcheroo thing with Tala and the stranger not even making an effort to save Maria. Mm-hmm. Those things didn't quite fit together, but overall an excellent story. And I was glad not to have, you know, two tales from the past. And this was a more complete story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I loved it. I just, I, and it's, and it was okay every once in a while to be like, Oh, flashback to something. But, you know, sometimes with these ones where there's just so much dialogue and, you know, not a whole lot going on. And I just, I don't know. I just, I really liked this one because it's heading into the direction that it's going to go in, you know, until it's mm-hmm. end. Yeah. And it, another thing I liked about this one, like the previous issue where they're on an island and stormy seas and, you know, it's raining most of the time, that's all conveyed so well in the art. In this one, you're in the the Arctic Circle or Alaska. There's ice and snow everywhere. There's lots of blues and whites. It's the mm-hmm. the the mood and the tone is set so well with the art and the coloring in, in these two stories. Really, really excellent. Mm, yeah. Yep. For sure. I totally agree with you on that one. And again, how can you go wrong with Neil Adams covers and Jim Aparo interiors? Just incredible stuff. What a great, like, for, you know, 1970, you really couldn't do a whole lot better than that if you could at all. Yeah, no, I, for the, 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 the artist combinations on this, I would, I couldn't ask for anything more. Absolutely. So, okay, well, that's going to finish us up here with these two issues and, you know, I want to thank you for joining me again here. So if anybody uh, is looking for you out there, they can find you still on Twitter, Instagram, and then your blog as well, right? Yep, yep. Twitter and Instagram, Big Ox 737 uh, The blogs, comics, comics, comics.blog. Um, look me up. I, You know, I, I love to come back on the show and talk about these things. Um, and you've been putting out a, a, a lot of great stuff lately. Lots of good shows. You know, the Tomb of Dracula, lots of Bob Haney stuff. Um, it's mm-hmm. been fun to follow along with the, the rest of the shows you're doing. Yeah, the, the horror stuff, you know, I try to always do the, the Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night every month. I am going to be finishing up a couple of things. So Phantom Stranger with you and I, I do have a couple as of this recording in the in the, in the the bank already, but they're going to come out more regularly because uh, Ed Moore and I are finishing up with uh, Supernatural Thrillers, the, the Living Mummy. That's, uh, I think we just, if I'm not mistaken... Just a couple of days ago, recorded the last episode, the the last two issues of that. So that'll be uh, finishing off that one. So then you'll still get, you know, the, the Tomb of Drac and uh, Werewolf by Night. But then it should be every month now. Uh, you should be hearing Phantom Stranger instead of like every six weeks or so. So, you know, I, I'm definitely going to try to, you know, you and I just, just pound away at these and go crazy and, and just dive right into these because they're a lot of fun. And like you said. You know, Jim Apparel, you can't go wrong. And Len Wein, I think, starts scripting maybe within the next three or four issues. And I, I think him and Jim Apparel are the best creative team out of everybody we see on this series. I, I think this was a character that, you know, Len really did a really, really good job with. I think he really understood what this character is all about. So I'm like dying, to, waiting to get to those. 
Yeah, I I've been enjoying Denny O'Neill's writing. Um, it it's good here, but yeah, as this you know every issue we've we've read after the reprints, the character keeps developing and they keep bringing them along. Um, and with the the apparel art, you you were gonna get that 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 look consistently, um, and the you know the tone of the stories. Um, so yeah. It, each issue gets better um, as we've been reading them. Yeah, and we will eventually get to a point, too, where there's not every issue doesn't have uh, Dr. 13 showing up and being yeah. a complete jackass, too. So that, that'll be nice, too. I don't mind that every once in a while, but it gets old when it's every issue. And then these just random weird pop up appearances of Tala as well just don't make a ton of sense. It's just again, if that was, you know, if the issue was like, Oh, Tala is, you know, the, the master of the ice giants and she's going to command them to do stuff and they really work for her. Okay, sure. That's cool. Sounds great. But her popping up in this just made absolutely no sense. Even when they used her at the end there to be like, oh, she made herself look like Maria and then just escaped and all. It's just like, what? That was just so like out there. Yeah, it, it's not at all like when she first showed up and she was. You know, she was the the villain in the story. She was causing the the mm -hmm. conflict. Since that point, she's just shown up in these weird random places, and it's it's like you said. You, we don't need Terry thirteen every time. You know, mm -hmm. if he shows up as a spoiler occasionally, it would be much more effective. And it's the same with Tala. If she shows up as the the villain behind the villain or the secret behind the secret. Um, occasionally, in much better use of the character. Yeah, I didn't know if they just didn't know what to do with Phantom Stranger. That's why they kept recycling the the Tala thing and stuff like that. I didn't know what what the it could be. They're was. still just finding their way with them at this point. I mean, you know, we are only although the book was bi monthly. So if if we're eight issues in, right? That's that's over a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they should be finding their way maybe a little better by this point. And I think that's why, too, you figure it's been bounced around from different creative teams here as well. So that never True. helps either. How do you get a, a good voice for a character when there's, you know, you're on issue eight and there's been three different writers or four different writers? Yeah, it's just like that's true, too. And they were mixing in those golden age stories with some newer framing sequences and stuff like that. They they and you know whoever the editor was in the book you know i'm not trying to slam them but maybe they just you know the editor didn't even have a a clear vision of what you know dc wanted to do with this character but like i said it once once len ween comes on in in a few issues he's uh he's really good at writing the phantom stranger and writing these little short you know mystery horror stories so uh, yep. and he, he couldn't have a better partner than jim apparel so yeah it's just I'm dying, dying to get to those. <laughs> and uh, I know you and I will have a good time with them. But uh, yeah, like I said, that's going to wrap us up. And, uh, we, you know, we're going to get out of here. But yeah, hopefully on the regular, we'll be uh, uh, getting uh, more Phantom Stranger out for everybody. Because, uh, I, again, I don't I think there's was a little bit, you know, I think Ryan Daly had talked a little bit of Phantom Stranger on uh, his podcast. But now I think that's been gone for, gosh, I think it was 2018 or 2019 when he stopped doing it. So. You know, it's been a few years since he even was talking about it. And I don't I just don't know anybody else is talking about that character right now. So, you know, hey, you know, anybody that's in the Phantom Stranger, this this is this is where you're going to go. <laughs> <laughs>
So, all right, man. Thanks again, uh, Jeremiah. This was a blast. And uh, like I said, definitely looking forward to what's coming down the road. Thanks again for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Awesome. Well, we're going to get out of here and I will come back to wrap up in just a minute. between life and death is no greater than the thickness of a door. And now, the door is open. Crown International Pictures presents The Hearse. Welcome to Blackford. You plan on staying very long? Well, I'm not exactly sure yet. Maybe for the summer. A beautiful woman trying to escape her past. When my marriage ended, I nearly cracked up. Becomes trapped in a past far more terrible than her own. I know what your aunt did here. She worshipped the devil. He believes we can live forever, even beyond death. <laughs> what diabolical forces are manipulating her life? I am possessed. I am possessed. That uh, locket. Oh, it belonged to my aunt. I wouldn't show it to too many people if I were you. It's the devil's sign. Why is she being pursued by a phantom on wheels? The hearse that carried your aunt's body crashed. It exploded into flames. Stranger than that, there was no sign of the driver or your aunt's coffin. What horrifying destiny will be fulfilled when at last she encounters the hearse? What do you want? An ancient house. It's haunted. And you're a ghost. A classic car. It's still roaming the old county road in search of victims. You're not gonna get me! You're not! You're not! A terrifying confrontation with evil. Cast I serve a death to the hell! Trish Vanderveer. Joseph Cotton. Anybody there? The Hearse. A classic experience in fright. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Jeremiah for being on the show. Always a good time having him on. You know, we uh, love talking Phantom Stranger. and you know, He and I uh, talked to uh, Madame Xanadu last uh, Halloween season. And even talked about a movie together. You always have a good time with Jeremiah. He's a good dude, so definitely check out uh, him on social media and his uh, blog as well. I'll have all that in the show notes. So uh, everybody check it out. All right. Thanks for listening.